The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 26. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Madison. Well, good morning. It's uh, for those of you that I have not yet met. My name is Steve, and I am one of the pastors here at Frontline. 
It's really good to be with all of you today. I've missed you all, missed my family while I was gone for five weeks, and, um, and so it is really good to be back. Um, even before I left, we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, um, studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we'll be continuing there today. A few weeks ago, we talked about how some of the gifts of the Spirit seem um, more normal. Things like, uh, like teaching, administration, uh, helps, those are, they seem kind of tame. But then there are others like miracles and distinguishing of spirits and gifts of healing that seem spookier. They seem like maybe they're a little bit closer to the edge. Well, today we're going to be in chapter 14, which focuses on prophecy and speaking in tongues. Now, in two weeks, we'll be looking at the gift of prophecy, but today we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues. And I know that when I say that, some of you are going, woohoo, we finally got here. And others of us are going, great. I invited my neighbors, <laughs> and it's going to get weird. <laughs> well, I really hope that by the end of the day, that we will all be able to see this gift, like all the other gifts of the Holy Spirit, for the good gift that it is. Uh, theolo uh, theologian Russell Moore tells about a conversation that he had with a woman who was about as far from being a, um, a Bible Belt Christian as it's possible for someone to be. And so he was sharing the gospel with her, and she wasn't being um, oppositional about it. She just couldn't believe that he actually believed all this stuff. So she said, wait a minute. What you're telling me is that you believe that there was this guy, and when his mom gave birth to him, she was a virgin, and then um, this guy lived to 33, and, um, and then he went around doing good things, but then he got arrested, and a few days later, he was executed. But then three days after that, his dead, lifeless body came back to life, and he's still alive today, sitting there beside God in heaven. And when Dr. Moore heard the gospel from her perspective, he realized just how hard it would be for someone that doesn't believe to, to actually believe all that. And, um, and so he decided to go for broke. And he said, well, actually, there's more to it than that. He said, I believe that Jesus is coming back for all of us who love him. And when he does that, he's going to be on a white horse in the sky. <laughs> hey? But that's orthodox Christian doctrine. See, all of us who love Jesus believe that. Um, so is it really that much more of a stretch for us to believe that God would gift us with the ability to praise him in a language that we've never learned? See, I don't think so. I don't think that's, uh, I, I think that uh, they're considering the rest of the gospel, that's pretty normal, you know? <laughs> so when we, um, let's, let's pray. Let's just stop and pray, and then we'll dig in and look at these verses in chapter 14. Father, um, we, we thank you for all the gifts that you've given us. Lord, you've, you've given us the gift of life in the first place. Lord, you've given us the gift of eternal life. 
when you drew us into your family. Lord, you give us the gift of your presence. Lord, all of the gifts that you give us are good gifts. And Lord, we've been looking at these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and Father, we just recognize that those are all good gifts too. So I pray that as we look into your word, that you would help us today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when we talk about speaking in tongues, what we're describing is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. One of those times that we've talked about before when God appears to us in our present reality. And in this gift, he gives a person the ability to speak in a language that they have never learned nor do they understand. First example that we have of that is in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Beginning to read in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So remember a few weeks ago when we talked about God being um, omnipresent? He's everywhere all at once. But sometimes how he breaks in to our present reality and our time-space world in a way that we can experience him with our five senses? Well, the day of Pentecost was one of those days. Verse 6 continues, And at the sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these that are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. Okay? So from day one, this gift amazed and perplexed some people, but led other people to mock in unbelief. Things haven't changed a lot in 2,000 years, have they? Okay? Well, let's make a list this morning um, about this gift of tongues, which I think will help us to understand what this gift is and what it isn't. So the first three things to see are the disciples spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some people understood them while others did not. And then they were telling of the mighty works of God. Now we have two other places in the book of Acts where the gift of speaking in tongues is mentioned. Once in Acts chapter 10 when Peter's preaching to a group of Gentiles in the house of Cornelius and they begin to speak in tongues. And then again in Acts 19, when Paul prays for some believers in Ephesus to receive the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. But it's in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the letter that, we're, that we've been studying now for months, where we hear most about this gift. Now it's obvious from what Paul wrote to these people that they were enamored with the gift of tongues. Some of their gatherings were little more than everybody getting together and all speaking in tongues at the same time. But that wasn't producing in that church the growth and the health that they needed. So Paul dives in with this letter, 
giving really practical instructions on the use of prophecy and speaking in tongues. So let's see what we can find in chapter 14 to add to our list that will help us to understand this better. Beginning in verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So that provides us with three more insights about this gift of tongues, which is to be used when the church is gathered. So tongue speech is directed towards God. It's not primarily directed towards men. Tongue speech is not understood by anyone. Now, that's a little different than what we see on the day of Pentecost, where the disciples were telling of God's mighty works, and some people did understand them. But in this letter, Paul is talking about the context of the church being gathered together. And so that's why it's a little bit different there. And then um, tongue speech is both mysterious and it's in the Holy Spirit. So we can see this, this principle of the church gathered together in uh, verse 4 and 5 where Paul reads, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So at first hearing, we might think that Paul is being critical of those speaking in tongues because they're only building up themselves individually rather than building up the whole church. But then in the next verse, he tells them that he wants them all to speak in tongues. So what's going on here? Well, let's go back to Paul's illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the body being made up of many different parts. And let's think about just one of those parts. Let's say a pancreas. So the pancreas has several important functions in the human body, like helping to regulate our blood sugar levels. Um, without a functioning pancreas, we're going to be in real trouble and we're going to need immediate medical attention. So is it wise to maintain a healthy pancreas for the sake of the whole body? Of course it is. Well, it's the same with each individual member of the body of Christ. Building up and keeping a healthy body part is wise, both in the human body and in the body of Christ. And Paul says that speaking in tongues builds up the individual part. So how does it do that? Well, for one thing, when a person speaks in tongues, he's yielding himself to God, which is always a good thing to do, and which builds us up. But we're also yielding a very specific part, our tongue. Remember what James wrote about the tongue in his epistle? In chapter 3, he writes, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set a fire, um, set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing 
and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Bible doesn't talk that way about any other part of our body. If I were writing this letter, I might have uh, chosen my hands or even my eyes as being the biggest offender parts. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James says that about our tongue. And he says that it is set on fire by hell itself. But when we yield our mouths to the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues under his inspiration, a kind of spiritual cleansing occurs that helps to build us up. We're yielding to God that one part of us that James says no man can tame. So we yield it to God, God tames it, and fills it with praise to him. Another clue to what happens when we speak in tongues is found in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, many theologians agree, and it's certainly been my personal experience, that these verses are referencing speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit knows what to pray for, even when we don't. And when we speak in tongues, Paul tells us that the Spirit prays perfect prayers through us according to the will of God. Again, the result is that we get built up. So let's add these to our list. Praying in tongues builds us up in the inner person. See, it's bypassing our understanding, bypassing our mind, and building us up in the inner person. And then when praying in tongues, we're praying perfect prayers back to God. I don't know if any of you remember this, but back in the 1990s, Garth Brooks did a song uh, titled Unanswered Prayer. And, um, and he talks about the blessing of unanswered prayer. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we understand how many of our prayers are good intentioned, but they just aren't really according to God's will. And so the Lord doesn't answer them. And um, one, of, one of his lines in there is, uh, what some of God's greatest gifts to us are unanswered prayers. Well, but when we pray in tongues, we're praying according to his will. And so we know that those prayers will be answered. Well, let's continue on in 1 Corinthians 14, starting with verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So here, Paul references that companion gift to the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Back in verse 5, he had said that uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the whole church is built up. Here again is that refrain from chapter 12 where, um, where Paul is encouraging them to do things that build up the whole body. Yes, speaking in tongues does build up the individual, but when we're gathered together, the goal will be to build up the whole body. It's sort of a dilemma. So Paul says in verse 15, 
what am I to do? But then he immediately answers himself and says, I'll do both. I'll pray with my spirit in tongues, and I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing with my spirit, again in tongues, and I will sing with my mind also. And just to be certain that the Corinthians did not misunderstand him and think that he was trying to shut down their tongue speaking altogether, in verse 5 he wrote, I want all of you to speak in tongues. And then in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So this is the picture that Paul paints of two applications for speaking in tongues. The first is in the context of the church gathered where the gift needs to be interpreted so that everyone is built up. The second context is in the private prayer life of the individual where interpretation is unnecessary but where the individual is strengthened. And it's in that private context that Paul says that his use of this gift of tongues is outdoing all of them together. So here are three more things for our list. When the church is gathered, audible speaking in tongues must be interpreted. Now, I'll just tell you, I speak in tongues in here all the time. It's just under my breath. See, there are times when, when people will come up for prayer afterwards and, I mean, you won't believe some of the things that, that, you know, the situations that people find themselves in. I don't know what to pray. And so for a little bit, I'll pray in tongues under my breath, knowing that God is hearing me and he's helping to answer these prayers that I don't even know what to pray about. Um, okay, the goal of interpreted tongues is to build up the whole body. So that's repeated over and over here again. And then Paul's plan was to privately pray and sing in tongues to build himself up and also to sing in probably Aramaic or Greek, whatever he was singing in there, and pray in that when the whole church was gathered together. Um, as we've been uh, looking through these uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14, some of us have probably seen what appears to be Paul saying one thing in chapter 12 and then saying the opposite thing in chapter 14. So let's look at that. In chapter 12, beginning in verse 29, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions where the implied answer to each question is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Nope. Are all teachers? Mm-mm. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But here's where the rub comes. If we flip over a couple of pages to chapter 14, Paul writes in verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. But if all are not prophets, as it says in chapter 12, then how are all going to prophesy one by one, as it says in chapter 14? Um, and if all are not teachers, as it plainly says in chapter 12, then how will each of us teach, as it says in chapter 14? And if all do not speak in tongues, as it says in chapter 12, then how are each of us going to give a tongue and an interpretation? And what on earth does Paul mean in chapter 14 when he says he wants them all to speak in tongues if all do not speak in tongues as it says in chapter 12? Well, when you have two 
passages uh, apparently saying conflicting things, especially by the same writer in the same letter, <laughs> um, it's a good idea to go to the entire Bible and see, okay, what does the rest of the Bible have to say about this? Well, unfortunately, um, almost everything that talks about the gifts of the Spirit is in chapters 12, 13, and 14. But not to worry. We also have the examples of those early believers. And we can look at their example to see how they moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, um, let's look at Peter. An uneducated backwoods fisherman that Jesus saved. He opens both of his letters by saying that he is an apostle. That's, that was how he identified himself. I'm an apostle. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter both spoke in tongues and he exercised a gift of evangelism that brought 3,000 people into God's family. A few days later, he and John delivered a gift of healing to a lame man at the beautiful gate. And then later on that day, again, operated in a gift of evangelism that brought in another 5,000 people. When the religious leaders got wind of it, they brought him in before the council where he exhibited a gift of teaching that was so rich and theologically deep that it says it astounded the Pharisees and they weren't easy to impress, okay? Um, chapter five of Acts, um, Peter delivers a, um, a word of knowledge to Ananias and Sapphira, which is also a gift of the spirit. And then in Acts chapter 9, Peter prays over the corpse of Tabitha and she begins to breathe again. So either Peter is the most gifted guy in all the Bible or he's just an average believer like you and me who is encountering people and as he encountered people, he exercised whatever gift of the Holy Spirit was necessary in that moment to meet the needs that they had. But if you ask Peter about his gifting, he'd tell you he was an apostle. See, everything, all the other gifts flowed out of that calling. Let's look at another guy, Philip the evangelist. That's how Luke describes him in Acts chapter 21. But we know that he was one of the original deacons, undoubtedly gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve. And Acts tells us that when he was in Samaria, he was casting out demons, he was healing people, and performing other signs and wonders. Again, we have a person whose primary calling was evangelism, but who ministered in many other gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we could also look at the Apostle Paul or the Deacon Stephen, and we would see the same thing. People with a primary gifting, but who ministered many different gifts of the Holy Spirit at the Holy Spirit's initiation. So if we go back and look at these two seemingly conflicting passages in chapters 12 and 14 in this light, there's no conflict. Are all called as prophets? No. Can all prophesy? Sure. Are all called as teachers? No. In fact, <clears throat> um, James says that not many of us should be teachers because we're going to incur a stricter judgment. But can anyone minister a gift of the Holy Spirit called teaching? Absolutely. In fact, if you're a parent, one of your primary jobs will be to flow in that 
gift of the Holy Spirit all the time with your kids. Well, let me tell you a couple of stories. When the Lord apprehended me um, at age 17, I was excited to know that I could pray and that God would not only hear my prayers, but he would also answer them. I was a pretty needy person, and, so, and I knew a lot of needy people, and so I wound up praying a lot. But sometimes, after I'd been praying for a while, I would run out of words to pray. I'd, I'd read that God wasn't interested in repetition, so I didn't want to just repeat all the prayers over again. Um, and I knew there was something else I should be praying, but I didn't know what to pray. It was almost like there was a pressure in my chest, and I didn't know how to express that. Well, I was telling another guy about it. He said, well, have you ever tried praying in tongues? And I said, no, what's that? <laughs> and, uh, and so he went back to uh, Romans chapter 8 and showed me the verses about the Spirit interceding for us and praying these perfect prayers. And that all sounded really good to me, so I said, yeah, let's, uh, let's ask God to give me that. So we prayed. I didn't feel anything special in the moment, but I had a sense of expectancy that something was going to happen. A couple of days later, I'd gone to bed, and again, I was praying everything that I knew to pray. And again, I ran out of words and felt like that there was more that I should be praying. So I opened my mouth. I asked God to fill it. And a second later, I found myself praying in tongues. Didn't feel particularly spiritual or otherworldly, but I could feel that pressure in my chest releasing. And I realized that what was happening is I was now praying all those things that I had needed to pray, but I couldn't pray without the Holy Spirit's help. Well, that gift has been with me for 52 years now, and it is a keystone in my prayer life. So I, I'm so grateful for it. Well, a couple of years later, uh, I was at our church one night. We had a, a guest speaker. He knew that most of us spoke in tongues. And so he spent the first few minutes of his message explaining that gift to anyone that was there and might not understand. Then he began to teach about what the Apostle Paul had written about singing in the Spirit, singing in tongues. He explained that it was just another form of worship uh, one that bypasses our understanding and allows the Holy Spirit to worship through us. At the end of his message, he invited the worship team back up and asked them to play the song they had played last. And, um, and then he invited us to sing that last verse of the song in English. And then as the band continued to play, that we would all begin to sing in tongues. And we did that. And for a few minutes had just a really beautiful, reverent time of worshiping the Lord. What that pastor didn't realize was that he was still wearing a hot mic and he was singing directly into it. So a few days later, when we put that recorded message in our cassette tape library, it had him singing in tongues front and center. One of the people that wasn't in the meeting that night was a lady named Maggie McGuire. Now, Maggie was a Navajo woman whose family still lived on the reservation in Arizona. And though Maggie didn't really speak Navajo, she thought as she listened to that pastor singing that she recognized a couple of Navajo words. So she called her dad, who still lived on the reservation, and said, Dad, will you listen to this and see if you understand anything? So she put the phone down to her cassette recorder, punched play, and, um, and Dad listened. So Dad 
was not a believer. And, um, and after he had listened, he said, yeah. He said, some guy is singing to God. And what he's saying is, God, you are so magnificent that even the universe can't contain you. And yet you make yourself so small that you live in my heart. See? That was a really beautiful example of something very similar to what happened on the day of Pentecost. Well, let me address a few really practical questions about um, this gift of speaking in tongues. So first question, how do I know when I'm speaking if it's the Holy Spirit praying through me or if it's just me or maybe worst of all, if it's the enemy? Luke records Jesus as saying this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit the same way that we receive anything that we have ever received from God, by faith in his faithfulness. Faith in his faithfulness. It's how we came to him in the first place, and it's how we walk out this life day to day. And he promises that if we ask, he won't just give us a good gift, but he'll give us the Holy Spirit. Um, the enemy has no room there for anything. Another question, how does it work? Does God take control of my mouth? What if I can't stop once I start? Well, Acts 2.4 says that the disciples began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke and the Spirit gave them what to say. It wasn't miraculous that they spoke. They'd been doing that since they were toddlers. See, what was miraculous was what they said. In 1 Corinthians 14.32 Paul tells us that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That means that though the Holy Spirit is giving us what to say, we control when and where to speak it. We can start and stop speaking in tongues or even prophesying at any time. I speak out and the Holy Spirit fills my mouth with things to pray. Another question, should all Christians be speaking in tongues? Well, theologians come down in different places on this one. Um, heck, frontline elders come down in different places on this one. <laughs> um, I'm going to stick with what the Apostle Paul had to say. I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, not everyone will, will have a 1 Corinthians chapter 12 calling to speak in tongues when the church is gathered along with interpretation so the whole church will be built up. But private prayer, praying and singing in the Spirit is such a valuable tool to build up each of us that I can really see why Paul would say, I want you all to speak in tongues. Private devotional tongues is not a merit badge or a symbol of superior spirituality. It's a tool designed by God to build up the individual believer. Now, let me say this to those who have received this gift. It was given to be used. 
If someone gave me a $15,000 carbon fiber frame bike and all I did with it was sat it in my living room and admired it, that would be a waste of a really good gift. It's the same way with the gift of speaking in tongues. See, we need to accept the, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul's implied challenge to us to see if we can outdo him in speaking in tongues. Next question, will tongue speech always be a language that someone on earth will understand? Well, certainly some tongues is a human language as witnessed on the day of Pentecost and even that day when Maggie McGuire was there and, and, um, and her dad was able to understand that. However, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about tongues of men and of angels. So apparently some of the languages are angelic dialects. According to 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul didn't understand what he was saying. Now, Paul was one of the greatest intellectuals of his time, or of any other time for that matter. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy wrote the book of Romans, you know. Um, and Paul was clearly committed to his private devotional use of the gift of tongues to the extent that he told the Corinthian church that he spoke in tongues more than all of them put together. Okay, last question. I desire the gift of tongues. What do I do? Well, in that uh, verse from Luke chapter 11, we just read, Jesus said, with reference to the Holy Spirit, to ask, to seek, and to knock. Literally, to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And his promise as a good father is to, um, to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In fact, John the Baptist said that Jesus was going to give the Holy Spirit without measure, which sounds interesting. Paul wrote to his spiritual son Timothy about stirring up the gift that had been imparted to him through the laying on of Paul's hands. So praying with other people who are already moving in that gift of, the, of speaking in tongues is a good plan. And that's not only true about tongues, it's, it's really true of any of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, something that I think that it's important for us uh, to keep before us as we study 1 Corinthians is a topic that we've talked about before. This letter was written to a specific group of people in a specific time who needed a specific kind of correction. I suspect that if Paul were writing a letter to the church at Edmond today, he would be addressing issues that are very different than those in Corinth. Maybe Paul would be talking to us sternly about these little cell phones that we carry with us everywhere we go. For some of us, we have addictions to the news and to information that, that are diminishing our walks with the Lord. We don't have time to read our Bibles, but we have time to check these things for everything. Some of us are worshiping at the, the altar of social media and we get our identity there. And there is an unclean world of porn that is right here at our fingertips. All we have to do is punch search, and it's there. So Paul may have been writing to us about those things. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to get flip phones, though some of us may need to.
for a while. What I am saying is that we need to be sure that we are ruling over this technology and using it to the glory of God and not allowing it to rule over us. Um, Paul would probably also talk to us about our overly busy lives. Lives that are so busy and so taken up with activity that some of us are doing a lot of good things at the expense of the best eternal things. Well, if we look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers about spiritual gifts, he was encouraging them to throttle back on the uninterpreted tongues in their meetings, but to move ahead boldly with the gift of tongues in tandem with the gift of interpretation. Maybe if he was writing to us today, he'd, he'd say, are you guys neglecting those gifts? Um, oh, and where are your evangelists? Where, where are your prophets? See, the, the Corinthian church had a certain context. And in their context, they had a set of problems. Um, it's easy for us to look down on them from our lofty perch 2,000 years later and say, they were a hot mess. The Corinthian church was a dumpster fire. See? Um, but we have our own context and we have our own problems, some of which are hard to see. See, the reason that they call them blind spots is because we can't see them. Maybe it takes an apostolic letter, like this one we're studying, to wake up the Corinthian church, and maybe it takes one to wake us up too. Whatever Paul might have written in our imaginary letter to the church at Edmund, the heart of his correction would have been the same as it was for that church in Corinth. He didn't condemn them, and he wouldn't be condemning us. His goal was and is to bring each of us to that place of loving God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and to draw us towards loving our neighbors as ourselves. Father loves us so deeply that he just keeps working with us through our lifetimes to draw us to that place of healing and wholeness. These gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the gift of speaking in tongues, are ways that he manifests his presence among us, which takes us more fully to that place of better loving him and better loving one another, which was his goal all along. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we're, we're so grateful for that love. We're so grateful that, that even in our brokenness, even in our confusion, Lord, even in our blindness sometimes, that you just keep loving us. You love us year in and year out and decade in and decade out and you, you love us our whole lives. You, you bring us to wholeness and we thank you for that, Father. Lord, I pray that, that each of us would, um, would be able to approach you and say, Father, um, what do you want to do with me? What, how, how do you want to call me? How do you want to use me? And Lord, that, that each of us would be willing to be adjusted in our hearts, adjusted in our times, adjusted with our cell phones, 
Lord, that, that we would be willing to just follow you in any way that you're calling us. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.